0: This is Jason Berger from new-york-headshots.com, and you're listening to LightSource Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 39 of LightSource, the official podcast of studiolighting.net, the website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher.
2: And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockPhoto.com. Today we're going to have a talk with Jason Berger. He is a renowned headshot photographer, uh, shoots a lot of actors and actresses and models in New York City. Uh, if you want to follow along with some of the images that we're going to be talking about during this show, you can find his website at www.new-york-headshots.com. And, uh, he has a lot of interesting images in there, and we talk about, you know, what makes a good headshot. Um, because it's not, it's not necessarily what I would have thought a headshot really is. Uh, how about yourself, Bill?
1: No, a lot of what he was talking about sounded a lot more like, um, you know, kind of dramatic portraits than
2: anything else. Yeah, I always pictured a uh, headshot photography as kind of a, a standard portrait. Type image and it's kind of interesting hearing a lot of the different uh things that what makes a good headshot versus um you know what might make a bad headshot and things that go into it and things that you wouldn't want to do as a photographer because you know the important thing with a headshot is that it is for it's kind of like the calling card for a model or an actor or actress is what um a casting agent or an ad agency or an art director or something like that would use that to to actually know what the person looks like, not necessarily, you know, their body of work and their portfolio or whatever, but it gives them an idea of, of who they are. Yeah, and I think Jason also had some really interesting sort of lighting
1: approaches. Some of the equipment that he talked about was, was well, kind of unique, so I think it's going to be fun for our listeners that way. And if you page through his portfolio, the guy's got so much work. It's just really fun to just page and page and page through all the beautiful headshots.
2: Yeah, I really like the way that he does the, if you go in and do like the male and female sessions, how it shows where they have, you know, like the, the sample image and then like the other six maybe choice shots that were from that session. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, follow along with the website while you're listening to the show, and we're going to hop into a brief segment of news here before we get on with that. You've sent me, you've inundated me with links right here in this pro uh, post-show section, Bill.
1: Yeah, just a bunch of little goofy stuff, really. But some of it's kind of cool. The one thing that was released since our last show from a company called Image Trends is some new software. I mean, we talked about sensor dust, and I think we even talk about sensor dust on tonight's show with our guest. Uh, but this product is software. It's called Sensor Clean. K-L-E-E-N. And the website is ImagetrendsInc.com. This software is designed to take care of sensor dust after the image has already been taken. So I'm not thinking this would be like something you'd always want to count on, but if you did have an image that, you know, you didn't realize you had dust on your sensor and you brought it home, this software basically lets you Highlight with the software where the dust is on the image and then it magically di- makes it disappear.
2: So <laughs> I'm always a little leery when I, when I know software that says it will magically do this or that. But I mean, the before after looks pretty impressive. Yeah. Be, well, uh... those are my words, you
1: know, just for truth and advertising here, but yeah, that's what it, the, the premise is.
2: Well, even still, those are the ones that scare me. Probably, you know, it's the <laughs> ones that I, I'm a little hesitant about anything being on autopilot. And you guys probably pick that up from listening to me talk about like exposure and things like that. I, I'm I'm not one to let the camera do too much of anything, and I'm kind of that same way with software. And it might be a a problem of mine that I need to seek help with. But I don't <laughs> know. Maybe, you know, it kind of reminds
1: me of how the healing brush in Photoshop works. That's kind of what it looks like. But there's some extra settings, you know, like brush strength and different tips and stuff like that. So,
2: and it looks like it gives you like an area to select from. So, I mean, it might be similar to uh, the dust spec cleanup in Lightroom or something like that. But um, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah.
1: I don't, uh, I haven't used it, but I found it this week. It was released, so I thought we'd give it a little mention. Um, another thing that I've found this week and all of the cool news that I read is a really neat article on a new website called scribed.com, S-E-R-I-B-D dot com. And we'll put a link to this particular article. Scribd is full of basically ebooks, all sorts of ebooks. And actually, the site's neat. You can download the ebooks in PDF form or like Microsoft Word. In fact, you can even listen to the ebooks right on the site. It actually will read the text to you. Or you can download it as an MP3. But this one that caught my eye was 120 Photoshop tips. Really cool stuff. Stuff that you either like read in the manual and totally forgot about, or you know, are sort of some hidden features here and there too. Little things like if you hold down the control button control backspace and you can fill your selection with the foreground color you know a bunch of keyboard shortcuts and all that sort of thing so if you're a photoshop user definitely a cool thing to look over
2: yeah definitely there were there were uh there were some that i where you would say oh yeah have you heard about this one i go oh yeah i knew that and it's like well you know what happens when you add the shift key and it's like "Well, no not really and <laughs> right so i mean even for someone who, who has used photoshop you know day in and day out for a number of years there's uh Definitely worth reading because you might pick something up in here, and I'd be curious to see if Scott Kelby knows all these. That's right. <laughs> you should quiz him. <laughs> but we'll have to see if we can get a hold of him somehow and, and give him a quiz and see if see if we can stump him on something since he loves to stump everyone else so often on their show.
1: Right. So if nothing else, this document will make a good, fun quizzing game for you and your Photoshop buddies.
2: <laughs> Boy, that sounds like a bunch of geeks sitting around <laughs> playing, doesn't it? <laughs> Alt tab. What's alt tab do? (laughs) Pop quiz, hot shot. Yeah. So, alright, well, there's that. Well, the other thing that we were talking about recently was backup. And, um, I've been getting a bit more diligent with my backup procedures here. At Um, least one of us is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been, I have a number of external drives that seem to be showing up around here. And a diminishing size of drives. On my computer, and I think that's probably due to shooting with the five d mostly in raw it, mm. that that nice hundred and sixty gig drive is just disappearing quickly, so you know for no other reason than you know not being able to uh download my podcast onto iTunes, I need to get this stuff somewhere else because uh, I'm running out of space so I've been backing things up a little bit more regularly, and I'm using i actually have two hundred and sixty gigabyte currently 160 gigabyte, those things might have to get shelved very soon, um, doing a double backup here onto you know one drive and then back up to another drive before I actually remove something from my local drive. Nice. Um, but you were saying that you came across some online solutions.
1: Well, um, I'm... My methods of backing up are kind of similar to yours. I try my best and I'm not doing anything automatically, but I try to back up my sessions once I organize them all on hard drives. But there are times when, you know, I might go a few weeks without actually doing that, which isn't the best situation to be in. So what I was kind of researching a little bit, and we might, we might have to actually dedicate a whole section of a, of a show in the near future to this, but I was looking at some online solutions. Yeah, I actually found a website this week called MediaMax that's uh mediamax.com is the web address and basically they offer for the, they have a free account where you get 25 gigabytes of free online storage and you can put whatever you want up there so um what i was kind of thinking and actually they have a new feature now which is desktop software to go along with that for windows machines which would do backing up and synchronization of files for you to your mediamax account So what I was kind of thinking of is the the folders that I use for dumping cards, which may go a day or two or sometimes a week or more without me touching them or backing them up. I might set this up to just sort of synchronize maybe just that folder. Since it's free and it's 25 gigabytes, I could have a couple of cards worth sitting there and not have to worry that if my hard drive crashes before I get to my backup, that I would lose stuff, because I wouldn't. It would be automatically backed up at MediaMax, which is, it's, it's attractive to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems very attractive, especially the the free thing is really uh, attractive there as well. Yeah. And it's just, it, I don't know, it, it seems like a it gives you a really good off-site solution, which is something that I currently don't have. Sure.
1: And if you have clients and stuff, of course, you know, they have other features, like sharing your files with clients or or. Friends and that sort of thing, family members. So if you do a session and you have to get the prints to a model quickly or something like that, you know, you can get them up online and share it that way. Now I think with the free account, there might be some bandwidth restrictions, uh, but they have some inexpensive pay accounts too. So it's definitely something worth checking out. And I think there's some competitor sites to this that we'll have to just dig around a little bit and make, maybe make a show out of it at some point here.
2: Yeah. I definitely think the whole, the whole backup slash organization slash workflow is uh is, is an interesting topic and it's one that i've kind of dedicated myself to a little bit and you know, much the way that i assume that a lot of photographers probably are is that they they have a good system in their head right. maybe even in paper <laughs> but not necessarily in practice right so uh yeah i think it's definitely something we'll probably need to touch on in another episode if if nothing else to get myself jazzed about you know, figuring out, again, what I'm supposed to be doing in, instead of uh, just kind of leaving things go by the wayside. Right. Unfortunately, it usually takes a
1: major disaster for most of us to get really serious about packing up. <laughs> I know <laughs> that's what happened to me. I lost a 130-gig hard drive once, and you know, it just gets you really serious
2: about backups, but it's a hard way to learn for sure. And unfortunately, even though you have those situations, like I have had that, And I'm I'm still back to my old ways again. Yeah, you just (laughs) Uh. (laughs) so it's like you need to have one of those and have it in recent memory to Mm -hmm. keep you keep you moving along with sort of uh sort of things. Now we're gonna we're gonna assume that photographers that are making you know their living day to day are are backing up, right? Wouldn't wouldn't that be safe to assume? I I hope so. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but Well, we, there are
1: some, of the, even some of our guests have some very elaborate raid systems and stuff like that, which, you know, actually with the expense of all that coming down, it, that's, that's probably a reasonable option even for somebody who's part-time. But in the meantime, for small jobs and stuff like that, this stuff is interesting to look at.
2: Certainly. Was there anything else we wanted to touch on before we move into uh, our interview?
1: You know what? There's one other thing because I'm just excited about it. I was actually trying to figure out a cool gift for some family members that had to do with photography. And, you know, how can I just really make a good, cool presentation with all the photos I've taken on my family and stuff like that. So I was looking at online scrapbook sites and some of the photo album printing services that are out there now, and I found one that I'm just really fired up about. I liked it a lot, and it was called Blurb.com, which is basically an online publisher so you're, it's a self-publishing company, but they really specialize in some of these like 8x10 or 8x11 photo books, like professional looking photo books where you get to design your own page layouts and put your photography in there and your text and all that. And they have really nice, uh, basically desktop software that you download and install. And then you can completely configure your book and have it printed by them and share oh, it. Nice. You know, if you want to, you can have other people order copies of it and stuff like that. Really beautiful stuff. I thought the uh, the demo albums that they have on their website and stuff looked beautiful. So it's definitely worth checking out.
2: Yeah, it, I had seen it before, and I think I was seeing it in conjunction with a way for someone to back up their blog and actually mm-hmm. print their blog. Yep. Um, and I've been looking at different book solutions as well. I And actually this weekend I got a mailer in the mail from um, asukabooks.com. That I really love their books, and I'd really love to order one.
1: They have beautiful albums.
2: I just um, did you do it? I have not done it yet, and and I don't know why. It's probably because I don't have my images tagged properly to easily pull out my portfolio <laughs> right. images that I should be backing up regularly.
1: Yeah, because Asuka gives you a good deal on your first album,
2: yeah, and there there are some really amazing different books that are there. So yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I definitely have some book ideas in my in my head of something that I want to do. The many faces of Ed Hidden. Yeah, you know it's the. We'll get to it in my st- in my spare time. Sure. <laughs> when, when I'm not shooting in the new studio. Oh, the new studio. Yeah,
1: you, you haven't really shared that with our listeners, huh?
2: Not too much. It's it's something new. It's just a little space in a uh, in a warehouse down here in uh, New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, which is just across the river from Harrisburg. It's a fairly small space. It's I don't know what would you say, 700 square foot, 800 square foot, something like that. Yeah, it sounds about right. And uh, Bill was gracious enough to come down and help me uh, hang up the uh, background paper, mount them up on the wall, and kind of get things where they're supposed to be. And so now we're going to be getting down there and shooting more often and uh, possibly even a place for Light Source Live. There you go. So if uh, if there's any interest in anyone making a trip to south-central Pennsylvania... Make sure you make a note in the Flickr group and if you guys are if you guys are serious about it, we'll uh we'll put this on fairly soon then.
1: That sounds like a lot of fun. Get some yeah, listeners it de- out and
2: it would definitely be cool to hang out with the uh, hang out with the listeners, shoot with them a bit, get some local models in, and you know, we'll show you the three mile island is near disaster from the seventies <laughs> right. all the all the wonderful uh low lights around here. There you go. Well, maybe we should get into the interview now since we're getting fairly sidetracked. I think that's fair. I hope you guys enjoy the show. And on the show with us this evening, we have Jason Berger from NewYorkHeadshots.com. That's New hyphen York hyphen Headshots.com. It is the authoritative site for commercial portraiture. He's uh, based out of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, looking at your pictures on the site, it's a really blast to have you on the show here, Jason.
0: Oh, thank you i I'm really happy to be here
2: now before we get into uh talking about your style um, your website is new york headshots is that is the headshot something that you specialize in
0: um, yeah i I'd say it is uh, i I go at it more and more from from an angle of uh, of portraiture and headshots as being a part of that. I try wherever possible to stay away from from a rigid formulaic approach and uh artistically
2: well for our listeners some of them are uh, just kind of getting started in um photography or not in photography but studio photography what would you how would you describe to someone it would be different uh a portrait session versus a headshot session
0: well i, I just think that that there's a a notion of headshots uh, out there based on uh your, everybody's yearbook photo, et cetera, that, that really requires the entire head be shown and, and things like that. And, um, and uh, of course, the uh, obligatory smile. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not necessarily uh, the biggest smile fan. I, I, I think I do them pretty well. But wherever possible, I try and get serious faces out of people. I definitely shoot for uh, a dramatic shot as a, as a primary focus rather than a smiling commercial one.
2: Are there any particular things that make a, a good headshot? Like, does it, should it be like a really dramatically lit image or should it look kind of like a, a natural world look to it?
0: Um, for me, it, it's really more about the moment and the character and the expression. I will tend to let, uh, technical fall by the wayside from time to time to capture the moment. I, I find that the most successful headshots are really all about uh, the connection between the subject and the camera. And that's something I, I always go back to in photography, is, is that it really allows you to, to capture a moment in time. And I think that's, even though headshots aren't, aren't an active sort of subject matter, uh, I try and treat it like it is and like there's an instant that really needs to be caught. And that involves the lights in that when everything coincides in that moment, then the lights kind of become important to me. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> that makes any sense. So that, that brings up an interesting question. First of all, I think you have a, an excellent portfolio and a really unique approach to headshots, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to try to talk to you on the show but how do you handle capturing that moment? It sounds like you don't really pose your models that much. Do you kind of just let the actors be themselves? How do you handle the uh, the communication with them? Yeah,
0: I, I really try and encourage people to give me whatever they're going to give me um, okay. and, and to not pose them. Uh, sometimes I'll make suggestions based on, uh, on what I'm seeing. But it, if I can, uh, I'm really happy to, to do very little directing.
1: Okay. Do you do a lot of... Planning before the shoot, then, or does it generally whatever happens?
0: Uh, there's a lot of spontaneity in my shoots. A lot of my clients are, are last minute here in New York, and uh, they just pop in, and I have to make a last minute assessment on uh, what they need and how to how to achieve it.
2: That's cool. So when you have, you know, you say you have people dropping in at the last minute and things like that, do you do you find it's difficult to work under? Well, I guess not necessarily under the gun, but thinking on your feet. Or do you prefer oh, to work that way? Uh,
0: it, it's six of one half dozen of the others. Um, it's a necessary evil, but uh, you know, if I can be prepared, uh, I like to be prepared.
2: Yeah, I find that I work better in that way. So I, I always find it interesting when I speak with uh, someone on the show, and they and they say about how they do kind of fly by the wire sort of uh, sort of work, and especially some of the guys that we've spoken with who are working with much much bigger clients than myself and. They go into it fairly blind, and I admire that talent in a in a photographer to be able to do that.
0: Certainly, the uh, the location stuff I do is intrinsically more that way. It's kind of uh, guerrilla style, where where I'll just take people out on the street and uh, work out different locations and stuff like
1: that. That kind of uh, brings up the question in my mind about lighting. Do you generally prefer natural light? Do you ever use natural light, or is it mostly studio lighting?
0: Well, my, my studio itself is pretty dark, so uh, when I'm getting natural light, it, it's, it's outside for okay. the most part. And I'm fairly proximate to the, uh, the riverside here, and I usually go down there because there's unobstructed sky.
1: Nice. And when you're in the studio, what kind of lighting do you generally start with?
0: Um, well, I, I use strobes, of course. Uh, I, I use Speedotron black lines because I found them to be the most dependable. It really depends on the type of shot, but I, I, I use bounce light, I use uh, umbrellas, I use a softbox, and I have uh, like a large diffusion curtain, and a, any one of those could be uh,
1: my main light. Okay, well how, the diffusion curtain, Ed and I were talking about that concept the other the other day. Um, could you just explain to our listeners how that might be used as a main light source, and more for importantly, sure. how I can build one for
2: my studio? That how you can. <laughs>
0: Well, I just got these uh, Photoflex frames. I got two of them, and they have clips so that you can put them together and make a, a bigger screen out of uh, more than one of them attached together. And I just kind of rig it up to a boom stand, and then I, I point the light from behind it about four or five feet or so to try and fill it as much as possible and then go, go off whatever excess is coming from the sides, basically it's like you're uh you're creating a soft box out of the room
2: now when you're doing something like that, do you use a reflector on your strobe or do you leave it bare bulbed?
0: I usually use a reflector and and sometimes if I'm looking for something extra soft, I might even throw a a, a panty over over the reflector before it even hits the uh diffusion
2: screen D- Did you say a panty? <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that allowed on, <laughs> uh, on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: That's allowed. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, that, that's,
0: uh, that, that's what we used to call them back in uh, back in Macy's Catalog Studio. Uh, <laughs> back. It's a diffusion uh, that, that fits around the uh, the reflector. It's got an elastic. I forget what the uh, the actual market name is
2: for I'm just I'm just picturing a Tom Jones style photographer here.
0: Uh, It it definitely uh, helps to to sexy things up.
2: Yeah, it's like a college dorm room for setting a mood.
1: (laughs) That's good. So it's it's almost like a shower cap, right? It's a diffusion material that you can pull over the reflector. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I I love them a lot.
2: And I learned a new nickname for them.
1: There you
0: go. I've got one for my 11-inch, and
2: uh, I've got one on a beauty dish. I've been look. I've been looking at the beauty dishes a lot lately. Um, what sort of percentage of the work would you say that you use a, a large beauty dish for for your portraits?
0: Uh, I'd say it's a fairly small percentage because you're really looking for a, a kind of sharp edge shadow when when you bring that out, you, even with the large panty on it. It's kind of like a, a midday sun kind of effect. It's a small sharp shadow. It, it's pretty uh, true to its name in that if you're not so beautiful it it becomes more more of a difficult thing to use.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> it can only enhance it can only enhance what's there and if it's not there then
0: <laughs> well it's very hard and direct it's like it doesn't actually enhance it reveals. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so but, uh, so if someone has a textured skin it would be, you know, maybe not the best. Right. Yeah. That's that's totally correct.
2: Okay, so I won't get that for myself then. <laughs>
1: What are some of the, the challenges that, are, that you come across, just in particular with headshot photography? Are there certain rules or that you know that agencies are looking for certain, you know, have to see the skin or they have to see certain clothing or anything like that? Is that?
0: There... Um, mostly I, I, I will bow to the convention of keeping entire heads in frame for at least some of the shots during a session which left okay. up to my own devices, uh, I might not do.
1: Right. You like the hair and everything, too?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I figure these people need casting, and casting directors are, are looking to see the entire person, and they want to know what they're getting. And so uh, I, I really try and uh, keep the light basically even, and for the most part, or at least give them uh, some choices that, that, are, that are very uh, even and complete to make sure that they have all of themselves to present to the
1: industry. That's cool. Have you always been like a portrait photographer? How did you get into this business?
0: Um, well, uh, I started in college to to shoot uh, an ex-girlfriend who <laughs> was, it was <laughs> a ballet dancer. And uh, it was more of a, a figure modeling sort of slide. Also in, in college, uh, I was doing a little bit more of a street photo documentary sort of thing and uh then I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology and majored in, in photography for a while, and that kind of uh got me more industry focused from there. Uh, I went to work at Macy 's catalog Studio out in Newark where I was shooting uh carpets and spoons and plates and everything that they sell in in, in that that's catalog was exciting and, <laughs> and getting paid very little for it
1: well that's not good. Cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's really where I got uh, m- most of my hardcore education, because uh, you really had to, uh, to shoot everything and build everything to, to shoot it with. I was building room sets and, uh, and uh, all that kind of stuff.
2: Wow! But all of those skills helped you translate into where you are now. I mean, because looking at your editorial work and your fashion work, it looks like you have a really good eye for you know the total scene.
0: Well, yeah, I, you know, in retrospect, I, I do appreciate all the technical knowledge that, that I absorbed there. I feel like, you know, I had to endure a lot to, to get it, but uh, it was definitely uh, worthwhile knowledge that, that helped me out a lot um, and continues to help me uh, in having to shoot the tremendous variety of things that, that I had to shoot there. It really helps to just expose you to all the technical possibilities and solutions that, that are out there.
1: You mentioned not being paid very well as a catalog shooter. When you started doing portraiture, I'm curious as you work with actors and I'm sure some starving artists and models and stuff like that. Do you do any trade for print, trade for CDs type Uh, of stuff? When when I
0: first started up the the headshot site, I I was doing a bunch of that and uh, I've kind of curbed it back up a a whole bunch. Okay. I was uh, was finding a lot of models through one model place. If you're familiar Mm. with that site. Yeah. when I was, uh, starting up and just to get the ball rolling, I was, I was doing a whole bunch of that. And now uh, people have to be really beautiful. <laughs> right. they, have to, they have to convince me that, that, that they're also
1: worthy. That's cool. Would you recommend that as a starting point for some folks that are trying to get into headshot photography?
0: Um, yeah, it's a good way to go if if you need, uh, people to work with. It definitely helped, helped me to get the ball rolling in terms of, you know, you, you can be trying to shoot your friends and stuff like that and the familiarity and, and whatever can be, uh, an impediment to just trying to further your craft. Sometimes it helps to work with strangers that also have, like, a similar goal in mind.
1: What about other advice for somebody who is just trying to break into this kind of a business?
0: Um, it's pretty rough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. They, uh... You have to be really diligent and really patient, and it's tricky all the time. Uh, every every job is like a new job. It's like a new career <laughs> because uh, a new client with, with wow. new objectives, and you've got a new boss every day. <laughs> so you, you do
2: have to just, just stay
0: on your toes and stay
2: flexible. I, I actually have a, a business-related question for you. I'm on your website on the pricing page. And uh, where you're talking about the different packages that you have available, it's, it's you say that you offer all your full-resolution images provided on a CD. That's correct. I know that I've seen a lot of debate over there, and I've done a lot of internal debate myself, but do you have any issue with giving up the control of that final, I I guess you would equate it to like giving a negative to that client? Because I know some people want to retain that control of the print and make sure that it Yeah, I'm not not
0: possessive on that level at
2: all. But I'm in a very similar situation to you. I mean, I don't really have a lot of concern of keeping the control. I certainly would rather, you know, handle the printing and things like that on an image because I would, you know, know that the quality is something that I would be happy with. So, I mean... You know, providing them with as good of a negative as you can is is okay in my book. I don't really have an issue with that.
0: I'm very happy, you know, to let people, you know, have free usage. I mean, especially if there's an understanding that I, I'm also using it in my portfolio and whatever. I want people to have uh, the ability to to do everything without me. A lot of my, my clients don't don't come to me for prints. I handle a, a real small percentage of, of, of print orders because here in New York it's just easier to direct them to a lab that, that specializes in the printing and I, I, I do actually stay out of that to a large extent.
1: Well if I can I'd like to go back to technique for just a, a little bit. I, ha- I guess I have two questions related to actors and portraits. I guess you mentioned that you do a session generally you, you take more than one image for these folks. And besides headshots do you usually try to get full length images in also and if you do what kind of differences would there be in your lighting?
0: Uh, well, it depends on the person, of course. People that are more physically awkward, the the tighter the headshot, the easier the session. Um, <laughs> okay. But <laughs> once uh, once they become more actor model types, I, I have been known to push for for the three quarter shot. Okay which doesn't usually necessitate a huge lighting change for me. Depends on w- which lighting I'm, I'm going with, but especially if I'm using the, uh, the large curtain, it's very versatile and can go easily from, from a, a tight shot to a long shot.
1: So you might have multiple heads behind that large curtain, or do you just usually have one powerful head?
0: Um, I, I usually just go with one behind the curtain, but I, I have used more than one on occasion. But usually, usually I just find it's like the distance and the power that's most important.
1: Okay, cool. And that that would make a large enough light source to be pretty soft for a three-quarter, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's extremely
1: soft. And do you usually fill, then, when you use that large light source?
0: Uh, sometimes, sometimes not.
1: Okay. What about the difference in lighting between, say, like a, a, a male and a female? Do you generally make a distinction, or do you use the same kind of light for both?
0: I'll definitely do less fill on on men in in the studio than i will for women i'll do side light for men a lot more readily than than i will for women i i I will do a lot of side light for women but i'll try and diffuse it a lot more okay um i'll try uh like a center light is often most effective like a sort of butterfly setup with a strong light on top and then a, a weaker light to fill on the bottom
1: and that would be like near the camera then
0: Yeah, uh, I've actually been using the diffusion curtain as a bounce in the past full of shoots and and bouncing a light into that for for the fill, which will sit like immediately behind me. I'll kind of stand like right in front of the head itself and the light will just bounce off the sides of the curtain.
1: Nice. Do you find yourself using a lot of grids or anything like that or gels when you're in sessions like this?
0: Um, It's mostly diffusion. Okay. I'll need either need to soften things or I will need to darken things occasionally with diffusion as well.
1: Now, are most headshots for acting black and white?
0: It's changed a lot in the short time I've been in the industry, really. I'd say since 2000, it's gone from mostly black and white to now most people really want color. Really? I'd say maybe 10% of my clients ask for black and white at this
1: point. Wow, okay. So that that's a change then.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge change. But it's it's also because when I can, uh, I'll also recommend color because it gives them the option in that you can convert it afterward. And if you, if you shoot black and white, you don't have the choice, of course.
2: Right. Now you're shooting digital mostly, correct? That's correct. So what sort of workflow do you have on the backside of your... Your images, and roughly how much time do you think you spend on getting an image to your clients? Do you do you give them a proof sheet to choose from before you go and do any final retouching? Do you retouch before they see everything, or
0: I, I give them everything uh, in, in a fairly raw state directly from the camera, if at all possible, on CD.
2: So they kind of take it
1: with them when they leave type of a thing?
0: Well, I, I try and get it in the mail the the following day, and so they have it pretty quickly. And then they get back to me with a with choice for a retouched image that's included with the
2: packages. Okay, and then you take your time from there and give it the full work up and make it as perfect as possible.
1: Yeah. Is there any kind of rules in acting headshots that, you know, too much retouching or anything like that that you need to be careful of when you're doing this kind of thing?
0: uh... yeah absolutely uh... the, the casting people are, are pretty keen on what a natural look is supposed to look like okay and if you have obvious retouching you, it can lose people jobs for sure so whatever retouching is done really has to be invisible and in a lot of cases you, you want to leave things that you might not otherwise leave just to show that that it is natural
2: <laughs> you, you don't, <laughs> don't want to make it look too great and then have someone come in and say we want the person that was in the headshot, not the person. Yeah, they absolutely <laughs> want, them. They want them to look like their headshot. So, is there a lot of makeup that, since there's not much post work that goes involved with it, do you suggest that people show up with a lot of makeup or a makeup person? Or
0: I usually recommend against it when when they give me a chance. My feeling is that a lot of people feel that they they need it for the security and and will do it. But in cases where there aren't specific problems and they're going for a basic natural actor headshot, uh, I really prefer to just have the time and the, and the natural skin to, to work with to get more shots rather than uh, the extended periods uh, that can be usurped by makeup in, in some of these sessions. But um, it, it can be helpful. It's mostly helpful, uh, I, I think, just to reduce an overall shine. Uh, some people are just shinier and, and that can be kind of, kind of a, a pervading issue in a shoot, especially with studio light, and makeup can kind of sell that down a bit.
2: But essentially, it's it's for minor concealment. It's not really, like, doing up a work of art type of thing.
0: Right. No, it, it's surprising to me. I mean, I, I get a lot of models, a lot of people that want to be models, and they won't hire makeup when they should. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a lot of actors come in with makeup when they really just want to look natural, and they, and they shouldn't. Oh, wow. <laughs> I try and advise people gently wherever possible, but it, I feel like uh, you know it's kind of an intimate area where you you don't necessarily want to tell people that they can't, they shouldn't have makeup or they should have makeup or, you know, especially. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just speaking with a lot of these people on the phone, and I don't really know what their issues are before they get to me.
2: Seems
1: like yeah. dangerous ground. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. It can be quite it's delicate it's sometimes, I imagine.
1: Well, speaking of that, and sort of relating to your to your subject and connecting with them. I mean, it's really clear from your images that you're good at that. What are some tips you would have for photographers who really struggle with just kind of connecting with the people? I mean, do you open with light chit chat or do you ask them to talk about themselves? How do you get that real moment that comes through in so much of your work?
0: Well, well, thanks for the compliment, first of all. Um, I, I really just try to be anti formulaic as much as possible. I try not to do anything in, in, in any kind of preconceived way, and, and it's kind of reverse psychology almost. Uh, I, I feel like most people that, that take photos are trying to get their subjects to do things, so I really try very hard not to try to do anything. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit Seinfeld. It's a little bit... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, a little bit don't just, uh, I, I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I really uh, I work very hard to not employ any regular method for that sort of thing.
1: So you don't have a little teddy bear that you shake and or anything like that to uh, tell me.
0: <laughs> I do have that's a mannequin cool. that scares everybody when they walk in the door. But uh, oh, that's, you know, good. that's another story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you have one too. My mother's a beautician, and she has this head that she used for doing hair and makeup. I have since adopted it as my uh, lighting assistant for when I'm trying to set up a shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's nothing better. Uh, it's definitely uh, one of my most useful tools.
2: <laughs> but but the best part is that it really freaks out my 7-year-old. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that'll do. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm sure it does. Uh, it pretty much freaks out everybody that walks in my door without, without exception. That's funny. <laughs> the one. The one I have is I, I, I got it on the street here in in New York, and it's real old style. It's ceramic,
1: and and the
0: eyes wow. are are glass. So it's uh, eerily realistic looking.
1: <laughs> That's wild. It's a work of art. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of useful equipment, do you have any like pieces of gear that you would never leave home without, or that you you have extras of laying around because you like it so much or use it so much?
0: Well, like I said, it, the Speedotrons are really primary for me when, when it comes to studio lighting. Uh, I find them really dependable, and you can just uh, kick them around, and they keep working. <laughs> uh, in terms of camera, uh, right now I'm using an Olympus C3030. Okay.
1: There's
0: there's two things I really love about the Olympus system, and one is that they use a 4x3 aspect ratio. Okay. That means that the images fit better onto an 8x10 page or an 11x14 page uh, without cropping. That's right. a real problem I was having shooting digital with the Nikon. When I first started up the headshot business, I was using the, uh, the D100. And there's things I really love about that camera. I think the Nikon color is, is really amazing. And I missed that a little bit in the Olympus but the Olympus format uh, at the time I made that purchase w- w- was just uh, superior for what I was trying to do. It filled the page with less megapixels, so a, a comparative camera was it was basically doing a-, a superior job in terms of price levels. And then the-, the other thing I love about the Olympus is that it's got a anti-dust feature for the sensor.
2: Oh, we had talked about right. that on one of our shows.
1: Yeah, we have a listener that loves Olympus because of that.
0: Uh-huh. I was spending so much time taking dust off of Nikon shots that I can't even I can't even, <laughs> I can't even uh, begin to talk about it. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a pretty good singular reason to to choose Olympus. It's an amazing thing, and I, I've uh, I've done probably. Thousands and thousands of lens changes in uh, in a dusty environment and outside on location on the uh, on New York City street in blustery winds. And I haven't seen one speck of dust.
1: Wow. In tens of thousands of frames.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, that is impressive.
1: So, the way it works is it, it vibrates the sensor with micro vibrations every time you turn it off. Is that how that works?
0: Yeah, I think it's off and on. Wow, and that's really I th- cool. I th- I think there's some dust shaking going on when you do lens changes as well.
1: Huh. <laughs> that's cool stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a, a really important thing. I wish uh I wish the other uh the other manufacturers would buy that uh that technology off Olympus so they could all be like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or, or something along those lines because it's really essential. I found I was just going crazy before I had that. Every image was a potential nightmare.
1: Yeah, there's nothing worse than getting the perfect shot except for a piece of dust right across a critical element. <laughs> oh. You mentioned being outside and in location sessions. Do you, is your equipment, I guess, different when you go outside? Do you take lighting gear? Do you tend to just use diffuser panels or nothing? How do you handle that?
0: Uh, often I use nothing. I, I shoot in in really diffuse light in general when I, when I take people outside for the actor headshots specifically.
1: So what can people look for, like shady areas or...?
0: Yeah, shade is great. I, I I love cloudy days also.
1: Okay. Um, Will that kind of determine whether you stay inside or not? Sometimes when you when somebody wants a a session.
0: Um, no, I mean it, it, where I am in New York here, there's always some shade to be found. So uh, that's cool. Short short of, short of a cloudy day, I'll uh, I'll take shade.
1: Well, Jason, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about how you how you do what you do. Well, thanks a lot. It was my pleasure. that's all we have for this episode of light source the brightest podcast on the internet be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for the things that we talked about on today's show and there you can also find links about our photography and keep up with the stuff that we've been shooting and don't forget you can send us feedback or questions about the show to studio
2: at gmail.com and we'll try to answer those questions on the show or in the lighting questions section on studiolighting.net. You can also get feedback on your
1: photography in our Flickr group, which is at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Till next time. Take care.